Welcome to Songs and Stories, the not-for-musicians-only music podcast. Welcome once again to Songs and Stories. I'm Michael Gaither, and this is Songs and Stories, episode number 83 we're up to now. Part one of a a two-part interview with somebody very cool here in the Bay Area and kind of an unusual episode, couple of episodes here for Songs and Stories. Today we're going to be talking with Bay Area engineer producer Cookie Marenko. Now, if you haven't heard that name before, you've heard her work, especially here on this program. If you go back one episode to my talk with the band Houston Jones, Cookie produced their last two records, Calico Heart and their new release, Jericho Road. Uh, And in fact, in the last interview with Houston Jones, they talked quite a bit about working with Cookie and her unusual style. The kicker is that these days, Cookie records exclusively on two-inch analog tape, and we're going to learn all about the hows and whys of that uh, in just a few minutes. She's been in the business more than 20 years, and to give you just a few cliff notes really lifted from her bio, she's engineered or produced five Grammy-nominated records, several gold records, and an Academy Award-winning documentary, and she's worked with the Monterey Jazz Festival, the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, and also spent many years at Wyndham Hill Records, where she really perfected her, her knack for recording acoustic instruments, which is what she's really known for these days. And as much as I hate using words like cutting edge and forefront, Cookie was really there at the beginning and a big proponent of a lot of technology that's really in common use now. She was an early adopter of hard disk recording back when it was brand new. She was also an early proponent of putting songs up on the internet for the purposes of downloading. And this is back in the days of dial-up when it was just completely unheard of. So she's been at, at you know at the start of a lot of great ideas and really developed these over the years. But she's gone back to exclusively two-inch analog tape, which I think is pretty cool. We're going to hear a couple of things from some artists she's recorded, and then we'll talk with Cookie. Really quick, I want to get a couple of websites out. Her her studio-facing website is otrstudios.com, and that's where you can learn how to go to Cookie Studio in Belmont, California, take in the view, which is just gorgeous, and... Uh, work with her and and talk about recording your own projects. Um, Bluecoastrecords.com is where she puts up a lot of the artists she records, and she makes them available for digital download, but as you'll learn um, in this interview and going to her site, she puts up high-quality WAV files, not highly compressed MP3 files, which is kind of radical, and as she's found, is successful. She's proved that uh, people who want good quality audio will pay for it and download it. Uh, cookiemarenko.com is her regular site or personal site with a blog and some engineering and recording related links. And she also has an intern program, which you can find at otrstudios.com slash intern. And as always, to find any of these links, as well as some related things we'll talk about during this interview, you can go to michaelgather.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R.com. And I'll have links to cookie sites and some other things that we'll be talking about very soon. One last thing I want to stress is if you're not an artist or a musician, you'll still want to in- listen to this interview. Um, if you just appreciate well-recorded music, Cookie has something to impart to you. And if you're an artist who's recorded 
considering recording or just kind of mulling over your next project, there's a lot of good advice and just a lot of wisdom in her approach to music and recording. So I think there's something here for everybody. I'm going to start by giving you a couple of examples of recording that Cookie has done. First, if you go to bluecoastrecords.com, you'll find a special events page where Cookie records a couple of folks and then makes the recordings available for immediate download as high-quality WAV files. We're going to hear Jenna Mamina do a cover of Warren Zevon's Mutineer, because I'm a sucker for a Warren Zevon cover. And then we're going to hear a little bit of Make It Rain, the title track from the latest CD from Keith Greninger and Dan Kai, who not completely uncoincidentally have recorded an interview with me, and they'll be up here in probably a, a number of weeks or so. So here's uh, Jenna Mamina with Mutineer. Keith and Dan with Make It Rain, and then we'll talk to Cookie Marenko in her studios in Belmont, California. don't know who Cookie is, um, people who've heard my podcast have heard your work, at least in Houston Jones and Keith Graninger and Dan Kai. So I guess for the, for the listening audience, tell, some, tell us who you've worked with and a little bit about yourself. Uh, hmm. Well. Um, Which is probably a long story, but. Yeah. <laughs> or what you're doing now. It's what you're doing now. What I'm doing now. Yeah. Um. I guess I've built a history as a recording engineer and producer specializing mm -hmm. in acoustic music. Um, 
although I work with a lot of bands and was an early adopter on digital and I I prefer working on analog mm-hmm. and uh, have been much happier now that I've gone back to analog mm-hmm. with some digital and I'm very excited about what the internet allows us to do um, and, and it's sometimes hard for people to understand how I can go from making these incredibly high quality recording for the audiophile market mm-hmm. to mp3s yeah. you asked me that earlier right. does it make me cringe well if it's for selling something uh, it doesn't really make me mm-hmm. cringe for promotional right and honestly it doesn't have to sound as bad as it does mm-hmm. but I'm of the mind that we can give away mp3s like 192 KBPS mp3s mm-hmm. or stream we stream entire full length songs at 192 mm. um, at our website for people to audition mm-hmm. and we feel that it's a selling point I don't think we're losing sales Right. so the artist that feels that they're giving away too much by letting somebody hear a whole song it happens I don't agree I think that people will download and they'll pay for quality. Mm -hmm. And we've seen an explosion for 96 kilohertz downloads. Um, Anyway, about myself, uh, yeah, I came to this as a musician, played the piano, oboe, sitar, my main instruments with a couple of jaunts over it with violin and flute. Mm -hmm. Um, And I... You know what? I love being part of people's dream. Mm-hmm. I give them the dream and I get to be part of it. And it's exciting to me to have a, a new artist who's recording their first album. You sound more like a catalyst for creativity than an engineer. You know, you bring people in and... Yeah. yeah. You know that what? That seems to be your approach. Yeah. I don't talk about the numbers. Yeah. I don't talk about the, you know... The knobs and the sliders and the... No, it's not that exciting. I get good gear. Mm-hmm. I know how to use it. But it's like driving a car. You know, it's it's just the means that gets me. It's a there. tool. It's a tool. Yeah. And um, I'm in an industry that's got a lot of, uh, <laughs> well, influenced by the, the men who really enjoy the numbers and the the this and the that's mm-hmm. and are fascinated by specs. Yeah. My spec is right here. It's in my ear. Right. And that's the specs I use. I can't really talk to you about all how it's done and this and that and the other, but I use my ears. You know what you want it to sound like. Right. Yeah. You're not a gearhead. I'm not a gearhead. <laughs> I own great gear, mm-hmm. but I'm not a gearhead. I want stuff to work. Right. That's what I want. And I can I can relate to that with guitar. You know, I'm not going to dare name any names, but I, there's, there's one guitar player, pal of mine, that, that comes to mind. And whenever I see him, it's always talking about the latest guitar he got and who played a similar guitar and why the intonation was worked well on, on this record and, and, and the tone of it, how it did this and this. And But it's not about... It's always about the, the tech behind it, which... I can't even pretend, I can't even fake being interested. Play, play me something. Just play me something. Play a song. You know, let me hear how it sounds. You know, that's uh, my first clue. I'm in trouble when I'm a producer. Mm-hmm. If somebody walks in and they're talking to me about 
um, their instruments. Yeah. And they're not talking to me about their music. I know that they're insecure and they're probably not a great player. Warning, warning. It's yeah. a big warning yeah. flag. If they come in and start looking at the gear, yeah. if an artist comes in and starts asking me questions about how my approach is to recording this, that, and the other on what gear and how he's... I know this is trouble. Yeah. They've been reading too many magazines and they're insecure about their music mm-hmm. and their own performance abilities. So, you know, it's not always, but it's a lot of times. Mm-hmm. That allows me to go into the production with a different mindset. I know I've got to get the music out of that person. Right. That's And you're right. That's where I'm centered. I'm about the creativity. I'm about the music. I want it to be an experience. I want... I want it to be magic. Mm-hmm. I want magic here with the people, with the artist. I want this to be an experience that transcends the recording and goes into the home. So when we make it an experience in here, a listener can put on a recording and go, wow, I'm, I'm there. And that shows in the work that I've heard from Houston Jones and Dan Kai and Keith Granger's new CD. I, we heard that was just like... Holy crap. Like, they always sound like holy crap, but it's like, wow, you know, there was something really happening there. Um, what was my... I had a thought, and it went away because I started yammering about people I like. Um, it sounds like you're more into getting a whole performance out of somebody than doing it track by track and copying and pasting and tweaking and vocal correcting and all that kind of digital stuff that people do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, um, uh, I don't... Use plugins. Yeah. I mean, I don't even record to digital. We, I let one of my other engineers do it if we have so to. So that's the obvious question is, so um, what drew, what made you go, because you were an early adopter of digital hard disk recording because it was brand new, 80, 90, 83? 83, yeah. Um, what, what pulled you back to recording on two-inch tape and one-inch tape? Uh, well, I never left recording multi-track. Okay. Two-inch. And as the popularity grew, um, more and more artists started recording at home. You probably remember the DA88s and the ADATs Mm -hmm. and that era of digital recording. It was a tape-based digital recording. It was more affordable. Artists would take it home. Um, We resisted that temptation to dumb our stuff. (laughs) Yeah, to dumb the gear down to that level and just continue. It's not broadcast. You can say whatever you want. But anyway, okay, yeah. good. <laughs> uh, and then it went over to Pro Tools. And I've owned Pro Tools or mm-hmm. a system yeah. you know, since its inception and have had to use it on occasion. Right. Um, and did a lot of editing in the early 80s in, you know, for mastering. But I just never liked the sound. Hmm. Um, and I gotta say, I think a lot of the advertising is misleading and it's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So when Digi says the HD system is better than their older system, and you see my old, I have a, an 888. Mm -hmm. And I told myself after many times buying Pro Tools again and again and again, that until I needed to revamp the entire system, Mm -hmm. With the computer, the apps, and everything, I'm not changing a thing. It works. And there have been times where I've had to record solo piano onto somebody's 192 um, uh, Pro Tools system 
through the, their HD converters. Hmm. And it sounds so bad to me hmm. that even my old Pro Tool system sounds better. Yeah. So I think what they're using for better, it's I'm relative. not really sure. It's yeah. relative, yeah, because what I heard, I mean, honestly, what I heard was over compression. So my guess is they put filters in, it boosts up so there's more bits, and mm. in their mind, it justifies using the word better. So boosting is kind of like taking a taking a JPEG picture and blowing it up, and you're artificially increasing what's already there. Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't. It didn't sound. Yeah. Good to me. Um, and if you're familiar, and you're if you're, you're used to recording on two inch tape, so you probably pick it up right away. Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, what's really interesting now is. Uh, with so many people recording at home and not being able to you really even perfect their digital systems. Right. I get a lot of musicians coming in who used to record on tape and haven't been on tape for years. Mm -hmm. They hear it immediately. I'll bet. I'll bet. They want to come back to tape. Yeah. They want to come back to playing, you know, not going in and editing everything. Yeah. And it's one of the temptations. You know, you get into Pro Tools, mm -hmm. and sure, it kept a lot of studios in business for a long time. Right. Because people would spend forever trying to perfect whether it was their intonation or their beats, mm -hmm. and, you know, where they, you know, fall playing in time. Um, and instead, if they just rehearsed a little bit, it yeah. would be done. Or let a few imperfections go, it would be done. Yeah. And so maybe we didn't make as much money as a studio because I wasn't, you know, recording for five minutes and editing for ten hours. Right. That also drove people to work at home because what they said to themselves was, wow, I just spent ten hours editing at somebody's studio. I bet I could do that at home in my yeah. bedroom. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. Somehow we survived it. Somehow my decision to go back to two inch with a firm commitment, I think, brought people back because they say, you know what? I can do my digital stuff at home, but I can't do this here. Right. Chris Key from Houston Jones and both and Travis from Houston Jones. Travis Jones said that uh, Cookie has a real knack. Oh, Chris actually said the quote was, "Cookie has a real knack for um, combining mic placement, on-the-fly headphone adjustment, and administering just enough alcohol to get a really good performance out of people." <laughs> wow. Yeah. Hmm, alcohol. That's interesting. Yeah. And Travis actually talked about, because people have heard this, have probably heard the previous interview with Houston Jones, where Travis said when he was singing, you were actually adjusting his headphones and to get to make him do certain things. And he said without even having to say anything, he adjusted himself. Can you talk about that process a little bit? When you're yeah. recording like acoustic singer-songwriters, what, what yeah. approach might you take? And do you... Re would you record the band all at once, probably, or would you record it in multiple tracks? What would be the approach? Well, uh, depends what I need and, you know, what the, what the final result is supposed mm -hmm. to be. But um, kind of a typical recording, multi-track recording, where I want a lot of flexibility in the mix. I might have the drums here isolated, mm -hmm. um, acoustic bass or electric bass, mm -hmm. either you know with the drums or upstairs, um, piano baffled off or guitar, which is how we did Houston Jones. Mm -hmm. 
and um, Travis would be in the ISO booth. Yeah. Um, I used to be more conventional, what I call old school, which was, you know, people would take for granted what was going on with the singer. Yeah. And too many singers would come in and say, okay, well, this is just a scratch track. Right. Right. And, you know, I got fooled too many times, which, you know, the scratch track was always the best track because they were relaxed. Travis said you used some of his, and I think, on the final, in the final versions of a couple of songs. Yeah. Well, I had learned that trick a while ago, so now what I try to do is actually allow the, try to get the scratch track to be the final track. And mm-hmm. the reason is because everybody else is playing to the vocals. And, uh, yeah. you know, regardless of what any band will tell you, when it goes to the radio or somebody's listening, they're going to focus on the vocals. Right. It's a natural inclination. So if the vocalist tries to re-record their vocal later, all the fills, the little tiny fills... That it's hard time, to sing to. Yeah, that really something gets lost. We're used to something getting lost. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate because the difference is if you can get the vocalist to get the vocal on the, the take that the, the instrumentalist get the, the cut. Then it all fits. It works. The yeah. groove is there. The dynamics work. You're right. They're not trying to second guess something. And so what's really important to me is the headphone mix. Mm-hmm. I think something that makes a lot of difference, and again, something they don't really emphasize in the schools, is the headphone mix. The headphone mix creates the dynamic for everybody to play to. Mm-hmm. So if the drummer isn't hearing his own kick drum loud enough, he'll play it louder. Mm. Uh, I generally don't start with drums in the headphones. But for instance, there's times when a drummer is playing and he's he's playing too loud mm-hmm. for what the dynamic of the song is. Yeah. And, and what happens in dynamics is physics. As something gets louder, you hear more of the upper part of the sound. Mm-hmm. When something's softer, you hear more of a fundamental tone. And when you're mixing, it's uh, it just takes forever, really, to match those dynamics EQ-wise. Mm-hmm. So I found if I can get everybody on the same dynamic level through the headphones... I don't have to spend forever mixing. The mix is there. And that's really what I do. So for Travis or any singer to come back and try to match the dynamics, the subtle dynamics Mm -hmm. that everybody's playing to afterwards is when you start getting into writing faders. Oh, Oh, can you make that louder? Can you make this softer? It's because the original dynamics are destroyed. Because the song's always sung differently, depending on the song. There's always always some subtle differences. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in those subtleties that the magic's made. Yeah. And that's what I look for. So my job as producer is to find how far can I push the band to get a peak performance. Mm-hmm. And the more interesting part is everybody peaks out at a slightly different spot. So the drummer might be learning the song, and he might have his peak at the fifth time through. Mm-hmm. The vocalist might have a peak at the second time through. bass player might have a peak at the 10th time through, mm-hmm. and the guitar player, you know, might be 20. So meanwhile, what you're doing as a producer is the first few songs you're learning the band and understanding where mm-hmm. everybody's peaks are. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this 
kind of mental drawing in your head of the peaks and where you think it's going to happen the best. So typically my strategy is I record every time and I just keep rolling over mm -hmm. until they get one that I think is really really good enough to keep. Mm -hmm. Then I call that take one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it seems I, to work. Yeah. So. And uh, meanwhile, I let the you know I let the singer relax and not sing if they need to, so we can yeah. rehearse the band, so I can get an idea of where everybody's peaks are, right. that the dynamics are right, and then from there we just start trying to keep it between two takes. Yeah. Like, all right, we got a great take. Yeah. I will mix this one, and you know, it's the basis basis for a good song. So we'll do a second take. Mm -hmm. If that one's better than the first one, we'll go over the, fir the first one. Yeah. Keep take two. If the take three is better than take two, then we'll roll over take two. So I never keep all of them. Uh -huh. I don't want to go back and listen to 500 takes. Which is probably a lot more time efficient. So you're not, you're not re reviewing 27 takes with the same guitar licks. And, yeah. And, and... So, do you, so with a, do you prefer to work with the whole band at once or does it depend on the situation of the band and... It probably you know, depends. It depends. Yeah. But for the most part, if it's a band, I'd rather work with the whole band playing yeah. together if I can. It, it wasn't always that way. I used to do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. yeah, piece by piece, play to a click track. Right. But now, you know, I'll rehearse them to, with a click track and then get rid of the click track. I really don't want to use a click track right. when they're recording. Yeah. Um, and what Travis is talking about is the subtleties of the headphones. Mm -hmm. uh, usually along the way, I'll notice that if the bass player and the drummer aren't together, mm -hmm. and you know that's got to be a marriage. That's the marriage. whole root of, that's, that's, that's the foundation of the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. If the kick drum and the bass player aren't hit, hitting together, you know you're in trouble. So what I'll do is I'll turn the kick drum up in the bass player's headphones. Oh, okay. And it's a very subtle thing, and I'll listen as I go. They won't even know I'm doing this. Right. I do it as they're playing. And if I start to hear the time get better... I'll stop. And I do the same thing with this with tone. Mm -hmm. um, I had an engineer come to study with me because he heard a kick drum sound on a record that I made. And he wanted to figure out, he wanted to learn how did I get the kick drum sound. Mm -hmm. And I showed him, it's all in the headphones. And so, sure enough, we had a drummer here. Yeah. Same situation. I showed him, see, now, now they're in time. Turned up the kick and the bass drum. And then what I started doing was turning up the kick drum sound in the drummer's headphones. And you could hear him lighten up. Wow. And as he lightens up, you get a deeper, darker sound. As you take it out of his headphones, he's hitting harder, so you get a tighter sound. And that, that also goes back to you being the catalyst for this creativity. You're not even telling them what to do. You're just tweaking a couple of knobs, and they're... <laughs> You're the puppet master back in the control room. <laughs> well, you're being all sweet about it. But yeah, you know what? That's a little uh, secret. A little secret. <laughs> Don't tell anybody in the podcast anyway. So how can people find you? How can artists find you for recording queries? How could people find your audio file quality recording? Where are the websites people should go and find you at? Um, OTRstudios.com uh, is okay. the studio. And the label is bluecoastrecords.com. Both those with an S. 
Uh, and you can listen to what we're doing with Blue Coast, which is a more extreme version of what I'm telling mm-hmm. you about for OTR. At OTR, I'm a hired producer. Mm-hmm. My job is to get what they want right. on tape and execute it. And a lot of times I don't always agree. Mm-hmm. But if they're happy, that's what I'm paid to do. Yeah. And at Blue Coast, it's my opportunity to get what I think are the best performances mm-hmm. to a fan base that I feel I know what they want. Mm-hmm. And it happens I've got this niche that loves acoustic music. Hmm. They love all the raw edges. They love mistakes. They love live performance. It sounds like a real performance, and it wasn't cut, cut wasn't cut, cut and pasted back into imperfection. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and the other trick is it's um, I don't use headphones at Blue Coast, mm. and that's really hard. Hmm. It's it's live. Yeah. There's a recording there with uh, Jenna Mamina and Matt Rawlings. Mm, okay. Uh, She's terrific. Jenna's mm. great, and Matt, if you don't know Matt, he's been the piano player with Lyle Lovett and Mark Knopfler for the last 20 years. Oh, wow. And the two of them together are incredible. But when they're doing this technique mm-hmm. live... Just playing. Yeah. Where she's actually in the room with the piano and a very soft voice. Mm-hmm. Matt has to play really soft. Oh, right, right. But the dynamics work like a glove. And it's there's just something magic about it. And it's really hard. It's really hard for the musicians to do this. It it takes spectacular musicianship. Um, it it's really not easy, and it takes a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to comment on Travis's statement about the headphones. The same is true in the headphones for um, the vocalist. Mm-hmm. Um, as I get to know the vocalist. If their dynamic isn't right, mm-hmm. uh, typically they'll run out of air and they'll start singing out of tune. Mm-hmm. That's how I know. Yeah. Because vocalists like Jenna and Travis and Keith, they don't sing out of tune mm-hmm. if the dynamic's right. But if they can't breathe right, if they can't hear themselves over an instrument, they're going to try to project louder than what they're normally used to singing. So in Travis's case, adjusting the headphones so that he's singing a song. That makes sense. Yeah. Where he's been rehearsing it at home without headphones. Right. He's been hearing it. He's been delivering it in a certain way. I know he's going to deliver a great performance. Yeah. I can, yeah, because there's times because I have a really soft voice and there's times where if things are too loud, I tend to try to project more volume and I don't that's that's not my voice and it sounds either I if I don't capo it up and hit the right hit a higher key you know I just try to sing louder and it doesn't sound right yeah yeah and you're running out of air yeah exactly in fact it all comes down to the breath it's all about breathing yep (laughs) recording is about breathing (laughs) that's my motto Well, thanks for your time today, and thanks for the tour. And for folks listening, the tour will be part two of this podcast. Thanks again. Oh, thank you. 
Recording is about breathing. Always remember that. Actually, playing is about breathing, too. Uh, once again, Cookie Marenko at her studios in Belmont, California, talking about some of her recording history and what she's doing now and why people really love working with her, especially acoustic musicians. Um, but we're not done yet. Um, I mentioned a tour a couple of times during this episode and interview. And when I first got to Cookie's studio, she gave me the tour, and I've learned that when I start talking to people, I just record everything, because inevitably if I don't, I miss something good. So I walked around her studio, saw the two-inch tape machines, and got a, a tour of all her equipment, and at the same time, really an explanation of where it came from and kind of what she's doing and how she ended up in this studio at her home in Belmont, California. So what I ask you to do is... Uh, Check out Songs and Stories number 83, depending where you're listening. You might be listening to this on KC Cafe Radio, in which case it'll be up next week. And um, if you're up on iTunes, the next episode will be up in about a week as well. If you're on my site, michaelgather.com, you can just click the next link and download it. If you have any comments about this podcast, you can send me an email, michael at michaelgather.com. And again, the website is michaelgather.com. So have a look at some of the links related to Cookie and some of the people she's worked with. And uh, stay tuned for episode number 84 of Songs of Stories, a tour of Cookie's studio. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Take care. <laughs>